Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. And I'm going to invite you to either uh, stand up or to remain standing as we continue our worship together and as we read God's word together. And, and, and we stand as a way to honor and just fix our attention, um, especially if you're nice on your comfy couch, lay, laid back like I would. Sometimes it's nice to stand up to remind ourselves and to put ourselves in a posture that we're about to receive God's goodness from God's word. And so this is Matthew 27, verses 38 through 50. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him were also also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthina, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated and let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray for your truth. We pray for your wisdom. And, Lord, we pray that as your people in this moment, when we're we're tempted to, to turn our heads in many ways, that we would focus our eyes on you and on what you are calling us to learn to experience, and to know, not just in our heads, but in our hearts today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Where is your God now? It's a question that that people have asked throughout history. When something bad happens, people ask the question, where is your God now? Sure, it's easy to, to worship God when everything is good and everything is the way it should be, but but when bad things happen, when when awful things strike, when pandemics hit, it's reasonable for even the people of God to ask, God, where are you now? Where are you in the midst of suffering? It's a question that, that people, even they asked, they sort of communicated to Jesus, right? It said in our scripture we just read, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now. This is a question, where is your God now? When you're hanging on the cross, all that you said is a lie. And I think any time that, that we experience suffering, whether it be because we lost somebody we loved or, or there's, um, there's a disease that's in our body or we're in pain or, or something awful or tragic has happened near us, 
or to us, or even in the midst of global pandemic, it's often we ask the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? And during suffering, we really wonder about a couple of things. One of the things we wonder about is God's goodness. And so you'll hear people say, and maybe you've said it, God, if you're good, why would you let all these awful things happen? I mean, God, if you're a good God, why in the world does COVID-19 and rattlesnakes exist, right? Like, like here in, in, our, in our story, we, we wonder about God's goodness in the midst of it. And so we kind of come to some conclusions. Either God is, either there's no God, because if there was a God, God would be good and God wouldn't allow these things. God is not good or God is not powerful enough to do anything. Because that's really the other thing we wonder about in the midst of, of suffering, all right, is we wonder about God's power in the midst of this. Okay, maybe there is a God and maybe even God is good, but, but is, is God really powerful? Is God able to do something? And so either God is powerful enough to do something and doesn't do it, then maybe God's not good, or God is not powerful enough to do anything, and we're left to our own devices. And so we, we ask the question time and time again, where is your God now? But also, who is your God? What are the key characteristics of God? And what are the, the strengths and the opportunities that God has in the world? And so for us as the people of God, one thing that, that we turn to for wisdom is, and insight is actually our scripture. Now, the Bible is, is really this complex book, all right? It's 66 books written by many, many different authors, written over a long period of time in multiple language with multiple different kinds of writing in it, from poetry to prophetic books to gospels to letters, all right? All sorts of different genres, if you will, by all these different people. Um, but one of the things that we believe is, is that it is inspired by God and written by people. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All right? And this is what we believe. It's not that all Scripture is God-dictated, all right? But all scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God and written by humans. And, and really, for, for me, God could have maybe just dropped down this book from heaven and, and said, here you go. This is everything you need to know. But instead, God has chosen to enter into a partnership with humanity, all right, in even the writing of God's word. And I think this is what God has done, is God very rarely acts all by himself, God most of the time acts in partnership with humanity. And this is what has happened, is that God has chosen to partner with humanity for the redemption of humanity. God has chosen, all right, that the way he's going to redeem the world is not just through himself, but it's with us. And, and we see this in our scriptures. Now, I mentioned in our wiggle time the, the story of, of Adam and Eve, and, and, and you may be familiar with it, but if you're not, let me just sort of give you the big picture. In the beginning, God created this beautiful world, and, and, and he, he created this Garden of Eden, and the first two humans, Adam and Eve, lived there. And it was a wonderful place to live. Um, and he said, you know what? You can eat from any fruit of any tree, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the way that I've come to understand that is, is the reason why it was called that tree is, is that if once they ate that tree, they would realize that God's goodness could be twisted into our evil. 
that the good things that God has given us that could be used for our own evil purposes. Probably the easiest way I can understand this um, goes to like us cinnamon rolls. We had cinnamon rolls this week. It was wonderful, all right? Um, But in the midst of these cinnamon rolls, like having like one cinnamon roll, that's holy and healthy. Having two, yeah, it depends on the size of them, depends on how hungry you are, right? Having a whole pan of cinnamon rolls at one time, all right, is, is not using God's gift in the right way. This is what we do, right? We twist God's gifts and we use them for our own purposes. And so that's what happened with Adam and Eve, is that they, they, they took the tree and then sin entered into the world. And I've said for years, it's affected and infected everything. It's affected and infected everything. And, and we're learning even more about how a little infection can spread a long, long way. And so sin entered into the world, but God didn't just leave us to our own devices, but he does give us freedom. He gives us freedom to be able to choose to love him because God did not want to set up a bunch of puppets, but instead, God gives us freedom. You can eat from any tree, but don't eat from that because love demands a choice. And so what we see throughout our scripture and throughout human history is that, is that God gives people a choice of what they want to do. He gives us freedom as to what we're going to choose. But also throughout human history, we see that God intervenes in the midst. So God gives us freedom to love him and chooses to lovingly intervene in our world. And like I said, we see that all throughout um, the Old Testament, for example. Um, think about in Exodus where God's chosen people, the, the Israelite people, they were enslaved. And what did they do? They cried out to God, Lord, save us, right? This is, um, Lord, if you're up there, wouldn't you do something? And God heard the cries of his people. He had mercy on them. And he, and, he, and he appeared to a leader by the name of Moses in a burning bush. And then Moses went to Pharaoh, confronted the most powerful person at the time, and said, set my, let my people go. Set us free. And after 10 plagues, finally, they were free. And God led them. They, God split the Red Sea. Do you see this partnership? Moses had to do things. God did things. They had to choose to follow God. The people wanted to know, well, how do we live with God? And God gave them what we call the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. He's given them the law that says this is what it means to live, all right? But also God sent prophets. These were people who spoke on behalf of God to people who reminded them of the way to live and who would sometimes say, if you don't live God's way, then these are the consequences of your actions, Even when the people called out for a king, God gave them a king to rule over them. And this is the story of God and the story of people, is that we cry out to God, Lord, save us. God sends something or someone to answer that. We follow God for a while, and then we fall off. And then we follow God for a while, and then we fall off. And as we fall off, then suffering builds in the world. And so we see this trend that happens, that God intervenes for good, all right, but we're unable to stay good. God intervenes and makes the world a better place, but, but we fall off. And, and, and so this is our story. Now, now, I think we do have to address evil. Like in the midst of the story, like why does evil exist All right, now here's what I believe as a pastor and as a person of faith, all right, is that God permits evil, but he doesn't cause it, and he's not surprised by it, all right? God allows evil to happen, 
I'm looking at the world. There is evil in this world. There is darkness. There is more than I can understand. There is evil, and God does permit it or allow it. But God doesn't cause it. And I think this is so important. Like, I don't believe God was sitting up in heaven and he was thinking, you know what? My people, gosh, they're just, they're way out all over the world. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna send them COVID-19. And do you know what? They're gonna turn to me. Um, I know that lots and lots of people are gonna die and that there's gonna be lots of suffering, but it'll be worth it. I don't think that's what God did. I don't think God caused this coronavirus to happen. All right, that, that isn't consistent with who I understand God to be. All right, so I don't think God caused it. He did allow it. He did permit it. But I also don't think God was surprised by it. I don't think God was sitting up in, in heaven, you know, in December when all this stuff started and, and was just like, oh, what's that? Wow, a new coronavirus. Wow, I, I didn't see it coming. Like, I don't think that was God either. Like, like God is, has been ready for this. He's, he's known about it. And, and, and God is at work in it, all right? Because in our suffering, I believe God is at work. And I think that that's one of the questions that, that we have to answer is that where is our God now in the midst of a global pandemic? Where is God now when the charts keep going up, when the numbers keep going up, when the stress on every system keeps going up? Where is our God now? What is God doing? And I think that's really where we have to, to look to Jesus because there's so much that, that, that the life of Jesus does. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was God, probably the last thing I'd want to do is go enter into a very messy and painful situation. I imagine life in heaven was pretty good for Jesus, all right? That, that, that he could have gone on up there and, and not suffered. But, but what we see from, from Jesus and, and the nature and character of God is to enter into the midst of humanity and enter into the midst of suffering. This is what Jesus does. And so we see that, that God became man, that he walked around this earth, and, and some crazy things happen. Now, one of the greatest demonstrations of God's kingdom is God's healing. One of the greatest demonstrations of God's kingdom is God's healing. And that's why in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see so many people being healed because everywhere that Jesus went, healings happened. And everywhere the kingdom of God goes, people are healed. Sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, spiritually. Ultimately, there's healing that breaks out where Jesus and where the Holy Spirit and where the Father is. Everywhere Jesus went, healing happened. And so what does God do in the midst of suffering is he brings healing because that's what Jesus did. And when Jesus walked this earth, he healed people. But also the cross shows us what Jesus went through with our own pain because there he experienced the worst of humanity. He experienced the worst of what it is to be human, to suffer. And he experienced the worst of what it means to be in a group, this sort of mob mentality that takes over. And he experienced it all. And the reason why is because of what was going to happen. In Hebrews 12, 2, we, it says this. It says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what does it say he did it for the cross? He endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because on the cross, Jesus experienced immense suffering. 
And he experienced immense different kinds of suffering. He experienced immense physical suffering. Now we, um, here we have some, some hammers and, and nails. These are, are not, they, these are not little nails like you put into the, the back of a bookcase that you got from Target. These are huge nails. And these went through his hands and one through his feet. The physical suffering of crucifixion was so immense. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on, on Friday, what, what Jesus suffered with. But, but he experienced immense physical suffering. In fact, crucifixion, the way you die is not through the wounds in your hands or your feet, but you actually die from suffocation. And so you're, you're there and you're, you're, you're holding yourself up to get a breath. You have to sort of pick yourself up on the cross to get a breath. But ultimately what happens is, is that you lose the strength and the physical suffering becomes too much and you suffocate because you're hunched over. And so there was immense physical suffering that, that happened there on the cross. But also there was this public humiliation that happened. I mean, P was, was ridiculed. Our, our scriptures say people um, derided him wagging their heads, all right? Like, I mean, people just looked up at him and they were scoffing and they were like, no, this can't be. All right, how dare you? The, the mockery that was happening, the public humiliation of, of being there. There was this great loneliness that Jesus experienced. I mean, he says in the scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and that there is this, not just a sense of loneliness, all right, or a social distancing, but there is this distance between God the Father and Jesus Christ when he's dying on the cross. Now, now, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is also a reference to Psalm 22. I'd love it if you'd read that at some point in time. But it is this immense loneliness and suffering that God feels. And then I, I believe that Jesus was just exhausted. I mean, it says at the very end, he gave up his spirit. He couldn't do it anymore. That, that the suffering, the, the beatings and other things that happened before and the actual crucifixion and everything he went through, he had nothing left to give because he had given it all. And he was exhausted. And maybe some of you, you, you find yourself there. You've, you've, you're experiencing physical suffering or, or maybe some humiliation or some shame. Um, maybe you're experiencing loneliness or exhaustion. And here's what we know is that Jesus experienced all those things. And this is what God does about the problem of suffering. Where is our God now in the midst of our global pandemic? Is that he suffers with us. Is that none of us suffer alone, but because Jesus became man and walked this world and in fact experienced all sorts of pain, he suffers with us. And so God's answer to the problem of suffering is to enter into it. And so that when you and I suffer, whatever that may look like for us, Jesus is with us and he's right by our side. And in a time now in which people are experiencing um, the awful thing of being in a hospital with nobody by their side, one of the things that we can best hope for is that we'll know the presence of God with us right by our side every day. Day, that when we suffer, Jesus suffers alongside with us. This is what God does about the problem of suffering. He doesn't just say, oh, nobody should ever suffer, but instead he chooses this incredibly loving thing, which is to suffer alongside with us. But that's not the end, because that's not the end of our story. Because that, the other thing that, that, that God does in the midst of a global pandemic is that he redeems suffering. 
is that, is that suffering, it may get a word, but it doesn't get the final word. How many of you have went through something terrible, all right, and you don't really want to go through that again, but, but you found a way to be able to redeem it and make it good and holy, right? There are probably, if I was to ask you all your story, you would tell me, you know, this event I went through was awful and terrible at the time, but you know what? Like now that I look back on it, I learned so much. I grew so much. Like it was actually redeemed um, in some ways. Now I imagine there are some circumstances where it doesn't feel like redemption is possible. And, and maybe some of you have went through some things that are so grossly unfair um, that, that it's like, I don't see how there could be good out of this. And, and, and I don't really know the answer to, to, to your particular story. But I do know that God is always at work in redemption. Um, and, and I see that even now with this global pandemic. I mean, I was talking, Ruben and I have been talking about this these past couple weeks about just how, how much we've had to learn and how, how, how kind of invigorating but challenging and also how long-term good that's going to be for us in ministry and in the church. Because right now, we have people who are watching this who wouldn't step foot in our building right now for lots of reasons, maybe because they live in a different state, maybe because church is just hard right now or life is hard, maybe physically they aren't able to get out. But whenever we're able to go back to church as normal, a new normal, we're gonna be able to live stream because we're learning these skills. And so we're gonna be able to connect people. God redeems things because that's who God is. He redeems suffering. And so this is what, what Romans 8, 26 and 28 says. Verse 26 says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. When we're suffering, the Holy Spirit is with us, right? To, to suffer with us and to work at redemption. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so if you're suffering and you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do, the Spirit is there suffering and with us, praying on our behalf. And then Romans eight twenty eight says these words, and we know that for those who love God, all things, Work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I love how, what it says, all things. All things, not some things, not many things, not most things, not a few things, all things. For those who love God, all things work together for good because our God is a God of redemption and love. And God redeems things, especially ugly things. And the reason I know that is because of the cross. I mean, we... For us, the cross is a beautiful thing. But in Jesus' day, the cross was the symbol that the Roman government used to say to the people, you will die if you betray us. Your life is always at stake if you do not do what we tell you to do. And what they would do is, is, is that crucifixions were both humiliating, they were bloody, and they were public affairs. And so they, they'd take it to the, 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 a hill in town. They would do it near a road on sort of the outskirts of town so that everybody who was traveling into town and everybody who was traveling out of town, in the middle of the day, they would see and they would hear people being crucified. And so the cross that we hang on our walls, that we wear around our necks, that we put on top of our churches, which for us is the most beautiful thing. It symbolizes God's love and power and beauty and holiness and redemption. 2,000 years ago, it symboled death, destruction, 
pain, misery, and suffering. And so God took that emblem of suffering and shame and he made the most beautiful thing that you and I can ever imagine. This is our God. He takes ugly things and may uses them for beautiful things. And so we cherish the cross because of what God has done. And so we're going to just, uh, before we go to communion, um, I'm going to just say a quick little prayer, and then we're going to sing just a little bit of the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, that for us is a beautiful sign of God's holiness and redemption. Let us pray. So Lord, we know there's so much suffering that's going on in this world. But Lord, we do pray that your spirit would take this suffering and we would know that as we suffer that you're with us. You're right by our side in the midst of it. Lord, we we pray for healing to break out because where you are, healings happen. But Lord, also we, we pray that you would work redemption, that you would redeem families that are suffering and bring this time to bring people closer together that you would redeem individuals who are struggling and maybe they haven't turned to you, that they would use this time to turn to you. Lord, that you would redeem our world and bring holiness, not because you caused this, but because you redeemed this. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love you. And we know that you can take an ugly thing and make it a beautiful thing. Because at the cross, oh, that wonderful cross we remember that you gave yourself fully for us so lord may we cherish and may we love you and what you've done it's in jesus name we pray amen Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.